Is there a future where The Sopranos will one day be lost by newer generations? Perhaps in the oversaturation of streaming services and critically acclaimed TV like Tears and Rain. Welcome to Josh Hasn't Seen The Sopranos. I'm Jared Backens and I'm joined by my two millennial co-hosts, Drew Madden and Josh Fink, as we go through each episode to uncover if The Sopranos should still be considered the best. It's good to be in something from the ground floor. Even though some consider 2020 the golden age of TV, I get the feeling we came in too late for that. We came in at the end. The best is over. Josh hasn't seen The Sopranos. Here we go. All right. Episode six of Josh hasn't seen The Sopranos. The episode is called Pax Soprana. So this is our launch week, guys. Congratulations. We made it this far so that everyone who's listening understands. So this is um, our six episode recording. We launched yesterday with four episodes. So we and then we're going to release one every week after that. So we have our fifth episode in the queue that we'll release next week. So, and today is June 17th, the day we're recording episode six here. So launching has been interesting. This is the first first podcast I've ever launched. So it's been a lot of like, I was texting, I was just trying to text friends and family and things like that to spread the word about it. Josh, what were you doing? Yeah, I was doing the same thing. <laughs> I even texted my mom. Uh, my mom and dad are on a road trip right now. And I've, I know that they listen to podcasts. So I just gave a quick update to them saying, hey, I'm part of this podcast. Josh hasn't seen The Sopranos. If you guys need something <laughs> to listen to, you know, please check it out, download, subscribe. And they're like, the one line response was, thanks for the info. <laughs> With a period at the end, I assume. Definitely. <laughs> actually, actually, an ellipsis, so three periods. Which <laughs> I, I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> <laughs> I get those in corporate culture and, you know, not to be offensive, but it tends to be someone who, when they were born, email didn't exist and probably for the greater part of their life. And it's like, that is not the correct email etiquette to put an ellipsis at the end of that statement. It's like kind of ambiguous. I'm like, well, are, did you actually mean what you just said or is it something else? My family has a standing Zoom call on Sunday nights and my sister couldn't make it for one of them. So she's like, yeah. I can't, or I think b- both my sisters couldn't make it. So it's the three of us. And then in the group text, I was like, oh, I can still make it. And my mom just texted back. There is no Zoom this week, period. I <laughs> 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 was like, okay, uh, which I know you didn't actually mean it the way it came out, but it was it was pretty great. Drew, did you, I saw that awesome uh, timestamp of the cover art you did. Are you spreading the word out there? Yeah, I, I grabbed my parents. I'm living at home, so I grabbed my parents' phone and downloaded and subscribed and then uh, texted, you know, family and friends. And uh, my mom, we were passing. I was going down to a state park just to hang out by the river for a little bit today. Um, and my mom's coming back from a massage. And she like we, like, stopped next to each other. And she's like, I'm listening to the podcast. And just immediately, <laughs> I'm like what the fuck have I said? <laughs> You're just like, oh shit, I did something wrong. This is like my immediate. <laughs> but I was I was kind of blown away. Like I, I posted on Instagram and I have mostly millennial followers, probably all of them on Instagram, but everyone was just like, oh, I've, I've never watched The Sopranos. I've, this is perfect for it too. And I was first of all surprised by how many people hadn't watched it, but then also I guess reinvigorated by, oh, like this literally is, for those, it's it's a bridge, I guess, from when the show came out to our generation, which surprisingly, a lot of people haven't watched it, I guess. I was also trying to, in my quest for understanding social media and trying to get buzz around this, which is ongoing, there was a Rotten Tomatoes poll that they actually just did that ranked 
the top HBO series of all time. I'm sorry, it was a bracket for the top HBO series of all time. And it was down to the final four. Josh, do you have a couple of guesses for the final four? I'm happy to clarify what are HBO series if you have questions about any series. Are they just dramas or are they all, all series? All series, drama and comedy. So I'd go Sopranos, Sex and the City, Game of Thrones, just because it had such a long, long run. Most watched TV show. Yeah. And a wild card of Deadwood. Ooh, I, would, I like that. I'm going to piggyback off of Josh. And not say, I want to say The Wire, but I might say Westworld. Wasn't that really popular? I haven't, I haven't watched it. Oh, I forgot about The Wire. Too bad, Josh. You already, you already said that. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't going to say Sex in the City, but I watched that whole series with my mom when I was like, like in sixth grade or something. And it's just like so inappropriate. Just like so insanely inappropriate. Did, is that how they did sex education with you? It was just like. You know, we're just going to la- watch Sex I think City. so. It was like, oh, shit, this is awkward. And then we just kept watching. Okay, so you said, you said, what are your four? Sex in the City, Game of Thrones, Sopranos, and instead of The Wire, I'm going to go with um, Westworld. Okay, so the final four, and keep in mind recency bias. So I think those were good guesses, but this is what the final four were. The Wire, which I was surprised about. Um but it had kind of an easy an easy quadrant in the bracket. I mean, I think it's one of the best shows of all time, if not the best, but I think it's hard to get noticed. So The Wire was one of them. Game of Thrones, so that was a good call. Westworld, I wasn't expecting that, Drew, but that was a good guess. And then Chernobyl was the fourth one. Oh, that is littered with recency bias. Hasn't there only been like one season of Chernobyl? So kind of the nature of Chernobyl is there can only be one season. It's based off the Chernobyl disaster, which only had <laughs> like... It ended at the end of it was six or it was five episodes even. So it was a mini series, which one of the best series ever. It's it's amazing. I haven't seen it. It's that good. It's it's amazing. I mean, it's it's worth your five hours for sure. It's really good. For a while, it was ranked as the highest rated show on IMDb. So it's it's that good. And a writer that I, I love following, uh, Craig Mazin was the creator on it. And he's he's a really smart guy. I mean, that's a mini series, too, which is like five. I mean, that's like a long movie. And that's really in consideration against things like The Sopranos and whatever. But it, and I think Game of Thrones doesn't belong there. I mean, it was a cultural phenomenon, but isn't there Westworld? It started Westworld. Josh, did you watch Westworld? I watched the first season, uh, maybe even a little bit of season two. I was pretty enamored with it, probably halfway through the first season. But then it kind of just kept getting weirder and weirder, in my opinion. I didn't invest too much more time after that. But so what happened? So Sopranos lost in the Sweet Sixteen. And the reason I'm spending so much time on this is because it's infuriating. (laughs) So it loses to Chernobyl, which Chernobyl is like a long movie littered with recency bias. Chernobyl then goes to beat True Detective, which is questionable on its own. I think that's at least okay. I mean, they're both they're both comparable. But the fact that the Sopranos didn't make the final four, I, I think, is close to like if you tried to decide the four best NBA players of all time, if you didn't put Michael Jordan in there, it's just like. Maybe Michael Jordan's not the best, but he's definitely a contender for the best. And every player that's come after him is indebted to his game. So it, I guess, made me more steadfast in my belief, just like, all right, this is why we're doing this podcast. Like there needs to be that bridge there. I mean, The Sopranos is that Michael Jordan of those of those TV series, in my opinion. I agree. I hate when people disagree with me. <laughs> <laughs> more people should think like me. <laughs> I think that's an that's an interesting take too, Jared. Is that 
since the Sopranos was, you know, 20 years ago, all these shows benefited from their that success and learned a lot of, you know, tactics and whatnot to to utilize to create a great show. So yeah, it's kind of like not giving not giving props to to the goat. But I mean, like I was thinking about that NBA thing uh, you were talking about. Like Jordan's always got either number one or two. What about somebody before his time? Like I mean, Larry Bird, Magic. Mm-hmm. Who who else gets like top five considerations? Like Kareem. a lot of timers are not really Kareem. Kareem. Yeah, yeah. Bird, Magic are in consideration. Kareem, Bill Russell, but it's not really fair. Yeah, <laughs> like Wilt Chamberlain, maybe. Yeah, Wilt Chamberlain. It's it gets harder to compare, I think. And everyone's like, oh, Jerry West too, which amazing, I'm sure. I don't know if you're playing in the 60s. There's also a lot less teams and a lot less players. And, you know, that that, co- that makes a huge difference. Yeah. That just like training competitiveness. Jerry West lost like 12 out of 13 finals like <laughs> on the brink of like severe depression. It, it's it's a little more clutch when you win him <laughs> like Michael Jordan did. He would have, I think, either won one or won in a, a game that he ended up losing. He like shot a half court shot at the buzzer to like and it was just worth a two back then and just tied the game and sent it to overtime. <laughs> but it's like, oh, that would have been a three and you would have won the game. But instead they like I think they lost in overtime. I'm I'm not hundred percent. Well, and sure. he won the finals MVP on the losing team one year, I think, which has also never been done. Though LeBron probably deserves it like every year he went to the finals. I I mean, I don't want to be LeBron biased here, but like when the Cavs were shooting just like 17% from the floor when he wasn't on the floor <laughs> or something during the finals. Who are your who are your top four NBA? Who would be your final four, Drew, and NBA players? Um, probably Vladi Divac. <laughs> like when he swatted the shot, uh, it went to Robert Ori. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. LeBron. Magic, KD, uh, Jordan. KD, really? It's pretty good, man. <laughs> Do you want to give us a 30-second argument on why you put KD in the Final Four of NBA players of all time? I think like his, his game and stuff, I mean, defensively, being able to shoot and uh, just super athletic. Uh, I think if social media didn't exist and if he uh, saw a therapist regularly like Tony Soprano and wasn't so insecure... <laughs> he'd probably <laughs> just like be way more confident <laughs> he would have been instructed to use the tactic to make westbrook seem like he's in charge of this <laughs> yeah. really from the sideline yeah be undercutting him yeah uh this week i want to talk a little bit of, about just because it surrounds any best tv series or best movie ever is just kind of america and maybe the world's infatuation with the mob i think it's a unique american thing but i want to know kind of what you guys think and why that is the case you know the best movies of all time are traditionally mob movies and stuff you know we have both godfathers we have goodfellas you know even on the waterfront that ties in organized crime and um, all these this wealth of other films too so i mean it does seem like an american obsession to me but i'm curious what you guys think i mean josh how, how do you see the mob is it is it an american obsession I think it is. And then when I was thinking about this question uh, earlier today, my first initial reaction was, is America obsessed with the mob? Am I obsessed with the mob? You know, I I don't tend to be attracted to mob movies, even though I've seen a, a lot of them. But and then I got to thinking, we kind of are, you know, a, a lot of the good shows um, and movies, like you mentioned, Jared, are about the mob. And in a way, the mob is, is American. Um, it's 
like how did America get founded as a rebellion against Britain? What is the mob? The mob's kind of like a, a rebellion against the status quo, but it's still a society in, in and of itself that has rules, has leadership, has a hierarchy, has roles. So it's definitely its own ecosystem that exists, even though it's within the criminal nature of American society. And I think Americans like that type of thing where it's like, okay, we are rebellious, but there's also order to our rebellion. It's not true chaos. Uh, you know, it's not like the Joker and Batman just blowing everything up. There's, you know, <laughs> there's, there's a structure. And I, and I think it's endearing to see them, they, you know, they kind of got to work for their money. And if you don't follow the rules, you get whacked. And I think a lot of these leaders are in a leadership position uh, because they show compassion and they're, they're revered, not out of fear, but out of respect. I mean, also a little bit of fear. <laughs> Is it more respect or fear? I think it. I, I think a good leader has to have both. I think the respect in has to be greater than the other. As as we've seen with like this episode, I think Tony's got the respect. He's got a little bit of fear. People more so fear Junior out of what random thing he could throw at him, and I, I don't think they respect him a lot. So, but yeah, just to sum it up, I think Americans tend to identify with the mob structure because that's kind of how we were we were founded and raised and, you know, these rebellious settlers like rebelling against uh, Britain. So I don't know. I was kind of thinking of that. I could be way off, but I'm sticking to it. Well, it's, it's an American story, right? Like rags to riches in a way, you know, taking whatever it takes to get there. And I think, I think that's part of it. I think you hit on that. Drew, what do you think? Uh, I think like two parts, like one part is, is I, I do think that we're kind of a little obsessed with violence. Like, I mean, why do I enjoy so many, like, violent movies? Which, I don't know, if that's some kind of barbarian, you know, <laughs> part of being human. Mm-hmm. And then I think also just, like, uh, the fact that there's truth to it, like, kind of going off of what Josh was saying, you know, stories are so much when it's like, oh, this was based on a true story. You know, you think of, like, you know, the play, like, the end of that Stanford Cal football game where where the like band comes on to the field like after that kickoff and Cal takes the ball into the end zone and just like chaos ensues and like the fact that that's like real like if that if a movie ended in that way you'd be like that was fucking terrible like that was so stupid (laughs) but I think like with like the mob and just like that kind of like realness of it one of my favorite movies is The Departed and you can just kind of picture that being you know a true story so i think that kind of people just identify with it do you know who directed the departed martin scorsese nice nice <laughs> i agree with you guys i think both of you it, and it, it is a very american thing so drew i don't know if it's i don't think it's necessarily a human obsession with violence maybe maybe england maybe they feel similarly with with the mob but other parts of the world don't as much and it's it's interesting in in America and across the world, especially the Italian mafia, like portrayed in The Godfather and Goodfellas and things like that, it changed what the mob looked like in real life. You know, people started to worship these characters of Don Corleone or Jimmy Conway or, or any of these guys, which is you've got to say, oh, maybe this this is quite an infatuation if it's actually changing real life from it. I was curious about it, too. So I looked up. Uh, America Film Institute's top 100 movies. So they did a survey. I think the first one was 1997, where they chose the top 100 American movies. They revised it in 2007, so 10 years later, where they where they did that. So I looked at the 2007 survey, and seven of the top 100 
American movies of all time use mo- the mob as a main theme. Obviously, the Godfathers are in there, Goodfellas, but then like on the waterfront, Raging Bull like ties in there. They're working with organized crime and things like that. And I thought that was really interesting. So we're, we're pushing on like 10% of all, all the best movies ever are focused on the mob. And then I started thinking like, you know, these these mob characters, these are very male centric characters. Like they tend to be troubled men who have a lot of power and things like that. And I, I started relating that to Westerns too. And I, I saw a lot of similarities in, you know, portrayal of the mob or portrayal of, of the American West as American ideals of, you know, uh, complicated men trying to overcome something to to raise himself up. So seven use the mob as a main theme. 12 of them are mob and Western movies. And then I also looked at, I was just like curious because the AFI, I mean, movie critics traditionally are, have been white men. So the lists are always going to be skewed towards those movies with these, you know, troubled white men overcoming things. So I think that's important to look at that they will be skewed that way. I was curious, just randomly trivia. I was curious in the number of movies on the top 100 that end in horrible destruction caused by a man and i'm not like anti-man here i was just kind of curious because that what those were big american themes how many movies on the top 100 do you guys think could could you use an example like uh what what give us one of the movies and so i'll give you yeah that's great um like the day after tomorrow with global warming caused by man i don't think that made the top 100 (laughs) (laughs) if there's terrible destruction but it's to a more positive end I didn't count that one. So Star Wars was on the top 100 movies. Luke blows up the Death Star, which I don't know, like 30,000 people die. A lot of them probably contract workers and, you know, (laughs) civilians and things like that. But, you know, it was to the end, a greater end to like, oh, they, you know, they seemingly defeated the Empire for the time being. So I didn't include Star Wars. I'm trying to think of one that you guys would know. So Drew hasn't seen either Godfather movie or Goodfellas. Uh, <laughs> Just reiterate that. Are you, are you counting? Are you, are you counting Independence Day when they blow up the alien ship? Independence Day wouldn't count because the men in that movie overcame the. I mean, I haven't seen Independence Day in a long time, but they overcame the end, the uh, aliens at the end, right? Yeah. Like, does the movie Seven count? Movie Seven would a hundred percent count. So that's a good example, and let's use that because it's not on the list. Spoilers for Seven. Uh, <laughs> What's in the, the villain, box? I mean, that goes without saying. The villain creates mayhem, uh, and even though the villain is vanquished at the end, I mean, you know, Brad Pitt goes to goes to jail. He creates more trouble than you know than anyone was really asking for there. So nothing gets solved. Was Morgan Freeman say? I think it's a Hemingway quote at the end of that. He says, "I believe the world is just and worth fighting for." I believe in one of those things. Or he says, I believe it's worth fighting for. Something like that. But it's just an amazing end to that movie. I, I love that ending. So I digress. So out of the top 100 movies, how many do you think end in destruction, negative destruction by a man? i go 18. Yeah, I'll say 25. Ooh, nice. So it's 26, <sighs> which I was pretty, which just isn't really related to anything. But maybe it has to do with who's rating the movies, what America thinks about things. Shifting back to, you know, why does America seem to admire mobsters or why are we infatuated with the mob? I tried to actually see if like people had studied this or like looked into a few articles and and what reasoning people had. I found one. It was called Why Do We Admire Mobsters by Maria Konnikova. 
and she gave a cool a couple cool interesting tidbits so i mean a big question is like we tend to focus on the italian jewish irish mafia of the time of i think like probably the 20s to maybe present day but we don't seem to we don't seem to have that same infatuation around like chinese russian or mexican gangsters or anything like that i was reading so like one of the reasons this this infatuation came up was first of all it, the mob really got powerful during prohibition that was when i mean they had like some like gambling and other things before that but it was in prohibition when we outlawed alcohol that they really gained a lot of their power and they weren't seen as this evil at that time they were seen as oh we don't really agree with this law these people are fighting for the people you know they're they're getting us they're getting us our booze which is uh, so important so people didn't so people started off and they had a a positive portrayal of them and then another part this this article argues is that people are enough removed they can just focus on the really good things maybe or the or the positive things like you said Josh the they follow these rules you know they're very american in their establishment you know they're not focusing on like oh these people beat their women they were abusive to children they killed people they ruined people's businesses because they were far enough removed from that do you think that makes sense for it in a way on the surface yeah i'd would, I'd say that makes sense I think using something like the mob or at least our obsession with it, it's important for a show like The Sopranos because it is a vessel that America understands and using that vessel, they can communicate a lot more things about it too. So Drew, anything else to add or say about that? Yeah, honestly, I it feel kind of in the dark about why mob movies over, you know, necessarily like war movies where we're like fighting, you know, for your country or something. America does love their war movies too. I think that's a good a good way to I guess approach this series too and ask ourselves that is, you know, why do we have this obsession? Is it justified? Is it not? Do we glamorize other things to this extent? Let's get into episode 6, Pax Soprana. Um so for the core of this episode, what was it about? What was those what were those few words that took away this chapter? Josh, you want to go? Sure. Uh, I kind of had a tough one. A tough time with this one uh but i came up with listen to your therapist don't sleep with her because <laughs> if he would have just followed all her advice you know instead of physically attracted to her you know he'd be so much farther along in his in his treatment <laughs> how about you drew uh i had tony explores feminine attraction <laughs> it starts off with like his mom um talking to junior and I do think there's like he's he's dealing with some issues of like uh, his his mom has like never really been there for him and 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 the, you know with a therapist they're being paid to be there for you um, and then mm-hmm. just with you know it's just heavily with his female relationships so it's not necessarily just physical attraction it's kind of all encompassing even your partner just being completely there for you or or being able to 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 boost you in in certain aspects of your life it's interesting both you guys focused on those feminine relationships my core was just long live the empire (laughs) tony is able to continue the piece you know when the deck starts to stack against him let's talk about the big picture a little bit uh just before we dive into the the scenes so it's called pax soprana josh do you know what that means or why it was called that no i was curious though because i've heard of pax being used in different uh, circumstances. So I looked up what PAX meant and uh, reading the definition straight off the internet right now. It's like 
in the Christian church, the kissing of a tablet by all participants at a mass <laughs> depicting the crucifixion, <laughs> crucifixion or other sacred objects, the kiss of peace. So I guess <laughs> the kiss, of, uh, I mean, if we're, if we're going off this de- definition, what Pax Soprano would be is just Tony making peace with, with the whole f- mob family or in his own family too, like with Carmela. Wow, that that was a roundabout way to actually get kind of close. I didn't think you were going to get there. <laughs> I was circling the drain there for a while. What a take. Wow. So I had to look this up, but Pax Romana is Latin. It's a period of, it's an actual period during Roman history where they had their most peaceful and prosperous time for about 200 years. So Pax Romana was that. So Tony, Tony talks about like the Roman emperors, you know, we equate the mob to this empire in a way too. So it's the Pax Soprana. They they play on the so- Sopranos word. Uh, Caesar Augustus was the emperor at the end of uh, Pax Romana, which is this peaceful period in Rome. So he was the last good emperor. He's the emperor and gladiator, which spoilers for gladiator, which is a great movie, but he's the emperor at the beginning, Jared Harris, or he's played by Jared Harris, who gets killed by uh, Commodus at the beginning. Marcus Aurelius? Yeah. Yeah, Marcus Aurelius. Are you not entertained? Oh, sorry. So I, I said, so I said Caesar. Caesar Augustus was the first, I think, emperor. Marcus Aurelius was the last one. Speaking of speaking of Marcus Aurelius, Drew, he he played the first Dumbledore in the first Harry Potter movie oh, before he died. I was watching the fourth Harry Potter movie today. And I was just like, huh. <laughs> oh, sorry. So that's Richard Harris. I said Jared Harris. Jared Harris is his son. Jared Harris is. He's a lead actor in Chernobyl for one, but he's in Mad Men. He's Lane Price in Mad Men. Just a great actor who's you'll you'll see show up a lot of times. But that's the son of of Richard Harris. Do you guys prefer Gladiator or Braveheart? Oh, I haven't seen Braveheart in so long. I've got to say Gladiator. I agree. I th- I think Gladiator. I'm I'm a I'm a Braveheart truther. I th- I think it's awesome. Um, any any other big picture ideas about the episode or anything else you guys want to add before we get into it? Thought it was a good build off from the previous college episode. I liked how they kind of got back into the mob centered uh, relationships, and we're kind of starting to see Junior's take on what what it means for him to be the boss and uh, what how that affects all the other mob leaders. And they're all kind of complaining to Tony. I thought that was interesting. How even though Junior's the boss, he's more of a figurehead, where Tony's the one pulling the strings. So I don't know. It it just sets the scene for a lot of interesting uh scenarios that could play out for the rest of this season and, and however much longer juniors at the head of the table for i think uh olivia really set this or olivia really sets the stage for varies in game of thrones the the, the bald guy uh when she's oh like, yeah <laughs> just jabbering with junior and then it's just like i don't know what you're talking about i was like that so varies and that other character yeah or, or a little finger or something maybe you could almost watch i was thinking about this just thinking about if the sopranos is, is close to the the best series and how it needs to be approachable by several different people i think you could watch the whole series and just take it at face value like oh all the characters are just saying saying what they feel or whatever and just take it in that way and i think you could really enjoy it but then if you start thinking about like oh everything livia says is a lie or tony's lying to everyone all the time or juniors lying to everyone it's like watching it a different way each time and i i think that's amazing as as we're going through this again i'm i'm trying to think about that more and more 
in the episode, so it starts off with Vin, the police detective. He fills Tony in on the latest with Melfi. There's nothing big. Um, Tony tells him, buy yourself an iron. So guy's a wrinkled shirt. He's just not not nice to this dude at all. Tony goes to therapy, brings Melfi some, Dr. Melfi some coffee. It comes out that Tony didn't tell Carmela that Dr. Melfi's a woman. And Tony blames Melfi for calling the house when he was on the college trip. And she asks, you know, what do you or what do me, your wife, your mother, daughter all have in common? And, you know, he attributes, oh, you guys are all all Italian. But something really important here, Tony asked why Melfi would take on him as a patient, which I think, I mean, as a viewer, I'm asking myself this too. Yeah, I think Dr. Melfi takes Tony on as a patient, just curiosity and maybe boredom. Uh, I'm sure as a psychiatrist, you see a, a lot of day in and day out, similar depression, similar X, Y, and Z. And so when you do get somebody who is pretty much known in the community as a, as a criminal figure, maybe she has a few motivations. Maybe she's trying to get him on the right path, or maybe she just really wants to see how his mind works. Uh, she mm-hmm. got in this field for a reason. We know from the experience when she was getting tailed uh, by Tony's cop buddy that she doesn't like plain boring men, which was <laughs> was her boyfriend or date at that time. So she might be, you know, physically attracted or mentally attracted to to Tony as a character. So uh, I think given the opportunity, she probably weighed the pros and cons and thought, let's make my life a little bit more interesting, not thinking that it would get dangerous, but I'm sure she knows that that's a possibility. Do you think she feels any civic duty or any of that, like high, higher call, like to just help anyone? I don't know civic duty, but maybe she, I think definitely a, a higher call to help anyone and just see if she can help him. She has been pretty clear with him, you know, what you can and can't say so that I, I can't take that information to the authorities if I have to. So she is bound by, you know, the law, but she gives him proper uh, boundaries to stay within. So I don't know if I was in her position, I don't know if I do it, I'd probably be a little bit more fearful, but also at the same time, it's probably a once in a lifetime client. Drew. If you were Dr. Melfi, would you take Tony as a patient? You know, she says that one thing in the uh, after her date gets beat up where she's like, oh, I'm like confined to these walls. Um, and and that makes me think that maybe it is out of like boredom. If it were me, uh, no fucking way would I take Tony as a patient. <laughs> I've been a substitute teacher. Do I want to have the worst kid in school to, uh, you know, serve the common <laughs> good? <laughs> I can, I can pass, but yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully um, it's out of like service. Yeah, I think I think you get into that profession for a very specific reason. I'm not sure if you have an oath or anything like that, but I think she has some sort of duty she feels. I'm not sure. But then also, like both of you guys said, maybe she is looking for, I don't know if excitement's the right word, but, you know, a change in, in the day to day. Mikey, who's now Junior, Uncle Junior's underboss, it's his, you know, hitman, but now that Junior's the boss. You know, this is his, this guy's very high, high up in the organization. Beats up guys from a high stakes poker game run by one of, one of the Capo's men. So the Capo, who's a captain in the organization, Jimmy Altieri, one of his men is running the poker game, but the poker game isn't paying up to anyone, which is, which is a little questionable too. So Junior's starting to take, uh, to take hold of these things that are happening in his territory. So Mikey beats up, beats up the guy who's running the, the poker game. Next, Junior's getting a suit fitted. The guy who's fitting his suit, he's known for a while too. He learns that this guy's grandson has passed away from suicide because of a designer drug that this kid has taken from, from one of the Capo's, Capo's men who's a drug dealer. So that, that guy is responsible for that. 
And then Drew, this is the scene that you mentioned earlier. So Uncle Junior goes to see Livia. And what were you saying about this scene? Do you remember what happens here? Doesn't she spread information about uh, Tony's Jewish friend who's, he's not a capo? Yeah, Hesh works independently and is in the territory too, but he's not a capo. Uh, he's just an associate really of of Tony. But yeah, basically Livia divulges information about him, correct, to Junior. Exactly. She talks about Tony always respects Hesh's word no matter what. Oh, by the way, Hesh isn't taxed. So I saw it as a way that she was kind of getting at Tony for either putting her in the retirement community or, or something else, but kind of a way to, to get under Tony's skin. I'm thinking like, oh, everyone is lying. Everyone's kind of playing, you know, playing their own hand. They're, everyone's playing really a different game here too. Uh, I love when like Junior's talking to Livia. They're like in the same same generation here too, but the old guy walkers by and he's like, you know, good morning to Livia. And he asks Junior, he's like, oh, new arrival. He's just like, keep moving, fella. <laughs> it's like, oh, a little, little irked about getting old, Uncle June. Tony's with his Gumar. They get into a fight. Starts off like Tony can't. It's because Tony can't get aroused. And it's kind of a scary moment. He actually physically almost attacks her too. But it's, I don't know, you're starting to see this, all these behaviors in Tony that are not acceptable. And this is even, even restraint, but from Tony's standards. Back at the pork store, uh, people are playing some cards. Chris arrives, tells Tony that Hesh wants to speak with him. So Hesh is the Jewish associate that Livia is getting Uncle Junior to collect a tax on on him. So so Hesh mentions that he has the Junior Uncle Junior is asking for five hundred thousand dollars in back pay and then also new interest. And and Tony's furious with that. Hesh is more reasonable though. I mean, he understands like he's in this territory. He's been operating and earning here. A nod to, we learn Hesh made a bunch of money from African-American rappers who uh, sold a bunch of records too. So Tony brings that up and it's just a recurring theme in, in I guess society. It's like, oh, this this old white dude is, is making a bunch of money on these on these African-American kids. You know what's interesting about that is, um, there, I don't know if this is an like an ode to that, but have you ever heard of the song uh, Save the Last Dance for Me? No, what is that? Uh, it's It was, uh, it was uh, recorded by the Drifters, and they mm-hmm. also sing like Under the Boardwalk, and there's like a group of four or five black singers. And that song was actually written by an old, not an old, it was written by a Jewish man on his way to his wedding, and he, who was... Uh, a paraplegic so he couldn't walk mm. and he wrote it for his wife that says you can you can dance the whole night away with all your friends and whatever but save the last dance for me you know i'm your husband and also like kind of save the last dances and you know we're going to go back to the honeymoon suite and consummate the marriage or whatnot so i wonder uh, and I, I and uh, yeah it was written by a, a jewish uh, you know writer recording artist so i wonder if that there was a little connection there oh interesting i'm not sure i don't think it's implied hesh wrote the song I think he pretty much was like, I have this label, I'll sell your records, and then probably probably made the big bucks on it. But that's an interesting connection. I'm curious about that. Tony at home is having a dream. He pretty much gets a blowjob from who he thinks is his gumar. Uh, it's actually a really interesting moment. Like Soprano's starting to lean into the dreams a little bit more. What time is it by Jive 5 is playing? He's singing along to it. But he learns it's just Arena's voice, and it's actually Dr. Melfi. Shifting to uh, Carmela and Tony are getting dinner in New York for their anniversary. And remember the dynamic of the families too. So Tony's part of the New Jersey crime family, which is now run by Uncle Junior. 
He meets with Johnny Sack, who's the underboss of one of the New York crime families. And Tony wants Johnny Sack's help to tell, essentially tell Uncle Junior he can't tax Hesh that much, but Tony doesn't want it to come from him. So there's actually a good Breaking Bad reference here. So this character is Johnny Sack. There's a character in Breaking Bad, one of the cartel guys. I don't know if you remember, Juan Bolsa. Um, he's talking <laughs> to Gus Fring at times. So you you know where this is going, Josh. <laughs> yeah. So it's Juan is John and then Bolsa's bag or sack or whatever. So it's Johnny Sack and Breaking Bad. Playing on Sopranos is Michael Jordan. Breaking Bad is one of those players that, that came after and just kind of, you know, referenced it, referenced all his moves and things like that. Drew, who would you think that player would be? <laughs> it's not Michael Jordan, but mimicked mimicked his moves. I didn't want to say Kobe because I actually like Kobe better than better than I like Breaking Bad comparatively. But as someone in that in that room, I mean, you gotta say Kobe. He's just, he's like he's such like MJ's <laughs> little brother. You know, same size and stuff. And Breaking Bad is is yeah. good. I would say Nikola Jokic, but <laughs> so Tony goes back to sit with Carmela. They get into a fight because Tony's spending their anniversaries talking with this other mob guy he apologized tony apologizes before even knowing what he what he did which i thought was a little relatable oh like, totally I, I was just like there's so many dates so i've just <laughs> been like oh this is you know my attention's over here and it's just like god fuck how do i recover from this <laughs> yeah but and when he's like oh it's only 10 minutes and you're like oh yeah it's kind of a not the most amount of time for like our anniversary to be, you know, not have the attention on your partner. <laughs> Without cell phones. It's like, what is she doing? She's just sitting there. Sorry. I was just like, you know, picking up players off the waiver wire <laughs> for fantasy. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm not that bad. I, I, I deleted my fantasy. I, I, I got kicked out of my league a while ago. So <laughs> how'd you, how'd you get kicked off? Uh, I got, I won one year auto drafting and then the next year I got last and the punishment was I had to take the SAT and, uh, I legitimately tried to take the SAT. I like tried to sign up, but you like needed your email from high school and mine was, was like drew at river fast, like some server that's just told that's non-existent for sure. And, uh, <laughs> They they kicked me out, and I was just like, man, I I really enjoyed it for a couple of years, and then I was just like, I was traveling, and I'm like, you know, in Argentina, trying to see how Lashawn McCoy is doing, and it's just like, I need to fucking end this. This is not, you know, this is not to my benefit. So a lot of things happened here. First, you won because you auto drafted, which you know, fantasy people don't like, right? Did that start it? Yeah, I I. I auto drafted and then just like picked up the best people off waiver wires, which is <laughs> really helpful. And then the punishment for your league, whoever deemed it acceptable, you had to take the SATs if you lost. So this is like the next year you were traveling in South America for like what, six months or so, just trying to trying to draft people or trying to play and then had to take the SATs when you got back. Uh, the first year I played, I was, and I would have won, I would have actually won the whole thing, but I was like going to, I think it's like Havasu Falls, which is like one of the wonders of the world. And fucking, fucking Reggie Bush just like cannot stay healthy and was like questionable and then got, got pulled for whatever stupid game it was. And uh, so I just like had a player not play, lost by 
like three points. And that was the beginning of being infuriated by fantasy football and also just, just realizing maybe I should be enjoying one of the top natural wonders of the world instead of thinking about Reggie Bush's ankle (laughs) (laughs) or whatever. But yeah, they just made the penalties way too hard. And then people, every time anyone lost, they would just get kicked out instead of like doing the penalty or whatever. They're like, you can, you can rejoin the league if you get a tattoo on your ass. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> At home, Tony and Carmella continue fighting. Really, she comes out why she's upset. She's upset because, you know, she's suspicious of this relationship with Dr. Melfi. And he attributes to her as just someone like, oh, you know, you're the mother of my children. And she's like, no, I'm more than someone that you you just procreate with. In therapy, Dr. Melfi sets the record straight and Tony can't bring her coffee anymore. can't get the gifts. It's important she gets a call about her car emergency. So her car is in the shop. And this is where Tony reveals that the Prozac may be working overtime for him, which is, you know, he's having these uh, erectile dysfunction issues too. So this is interesting having this tough mob guy really talking about erectile dysfunction, which as this masculine figure, he's seeing this as maybe something that something's wrong with him. Um, And then, you know, Melfi's like, oh, you should go get a prostate exam. And he's like, oh, I don't let people wag their finger in my face. And she, she laughs at that, which breaks her professionalism a bit, but it's, it's a funny moment. It's still the same theme of depression, or that's what I was thinking is like, Tony is depressed. And, and that's why he's having all these, these other issues that are affecting other parts of his life. He gets home and he sees Carmelo bought a bunch of furniture. <laughs> so it's a funny outlet, maybe relatable, but they get irritated with each other. There's a sit down with, with some of the mob guys. So it's Johnny Sack, the New York underboss who Tony met with at the, at the restaurant. It's Hesh, the, the Jewish associate, Tony, and then Uncle Junior. So all are pretending that Uncle Junior is the boss, but everyone knows that Tony's the boss. And Johnny Sack is, you know, communicating to Uncle Junior that the tax needs to be lower. And I mean, this was the, this is the epitome of a scene where, where everyone's lying here. I, I, I love this, but they make an agreement to Hesh's benefit. They cut down the back tax to $250,000 instead of $500,000. Tony has another dream with Dr. Melfi. This time she's in the shower. The next scene though, Tony is with his Gumar. He asks her to dress up in a business suit, which I think is, this is a really smart writer scene. This is a, a way to show what Tony's feeling without him outright saying it to people. I think a lot of shows, Game of Thrones is one, especially in the later seasons where they would, a character would say exactly what they were feeling. Some of the early school scenes in The Sopranos, the kids say exactly what they're feeling. You don't want that in a show. You want Tony to be able to say something. Oh, it'd be nice if you wear a business suit. I mean, we all know what that means. It means he's infatuated with Dr. Melfi, but they get into a fight again. Back at therapy, Tony shows Dr. Melfi he got burned by Carmella. So he's lying about that. It was his Gumar Arena who threw the candle at him. Tony seems depressed. He can't keep his personal life straight. He has all these female figures in his life that are really, I saw it as they're like dictating a lot of his actions. Like he seems to have things in control with the mob to some extent, but Livia, Carmela, Dr. Melfi, Meadow, it's its all these female figures. And I, I kept thinking back to that very first scene in the in the pilot where we see Tony's head through the legs on that statue. Tony makes a pass at, at Dr. Melfi here. He comes up, tries to kiss her. She diffuses it pretty well. She stays calm the whole time. This scene actually was in the pilot originally. So if you read the pilot script, 
Tony falls in love with Melfi. It's like a much more um, expedited arc. I'm curious to hear what you guys think if Tony would, if you guys thought this was realistic that Tony would make a pass at her. I don't know. What do you think, Drew? Well, on the DVD version, that's one of the clips that they show at the bottom, (laughs) which I thought was a total spoiler. I don't know. I think, yeah, realistically, I think it's totally inappropriate and absurd. But in Tony's world, I don't think so. You know, I don't I don't think he doesn't get his way with women all that often. And, you know, I think I think he just thinks, oh, if I'm just like kind of aggressive and, you know, Milfie's I, I mean, I think she's inappropriate with how she talks to him. What do you mean? Well, I mean, I've been to therapy and it's always been like women therapists and like like they do kind of laugh at your jokes or they'll be very friendly with you but it's like it's a really intimate relationship but at the same time if you like see them were to see them in public you like wouldn't talk to them or you would talk to them but just keep it very brief you know you're not supposed to be like friends with your with your therapist and uh i don't know just like the way that she you know answers the phone while he's in session there's a lot of things that i don't think are appropriate i thought the phone was a plot device where she played it as, as well as she could. I think Lorraine Brock was amazing. But yeah, it was just a plot device so Tony could learn that she had her her car was going through repairs, which there were different ways to do that, I think. I think that's a pitfall. When she opens up to Tony about her her date getting beaten up or, you know, it's just like, that's, that's not yeah. really, you know, because cause, yeah, you're, you're kind of always playing this like back and forth of like what's appropriate or not for how a th- therapist is supposed to act. And I don't know. Sometimes, you know, when she did laugh, I was like, I don't think that that's so inappropriate. Like, that's not something that she can like totally control, you know, even. But other times I'm like, no. (laughs) I mean, so you you think the therapy is unrealistic compared to what you've gone through? I don't think it's unrealistic. I just think there's like moments that they have to play. You know, that's like kind of what the show is about. It's like Tony's relationship with this therapist. But I mean, I think even for, for all of therapy it's like it's like i I mean you're telling these people things that you've like never told anyone you know and and, and in that that's like a very intimate relationship or you're telling them you know your your biggest insecurities and and it does create this kind of like intimate bond that you don't really have maybe even with like your partner or your parents or your closest friends so i do think it is realistic i just think there's like moments where there are therapists that are probably unprofessional at times accidentally. Yeah, I don't think Milfie's the best best therapist. Really? I really enjoy her character. I think she's the way she asks questions and the way she she handles Tony seems really good to me though. I but I I, I don't know. I don't know what it's what it's comparable to. I think Tony Soprano would be a, a harder patient than myself <laughs> to deal with. Okay, let's take our intermezzo for the for the week. You guys ready to go? So this week's question, if you guys were on a deserted island, you could only take one movie, one book, and one music album with you indefinitely, probably the rest of your life, who knows? What would those what would those things be? Josh, let's start with you. All right. So yeah, if I'm stuck on a desert island, the movie I'm definitely going to bring with me, we, we even spoke about it earlier, would be Gladiator. <laughs> it's, been, it's been my number one for a while. I just love it. Love the uh, good versus evil. It's epic. Great soundtrack. Uh, and it's just very nostalgic to me as well. as uh, The first movie that 
I saw when I was younger that I was like, oh, I need to watch this like again. I remember the next day I came home from school, I just put it right back in and, and rewatched it. Um, so that's that's one I could definitely watch, you know, not every day, but if I was stuck on an island, I'd be pretty happy with that. Ridley Scott directed Gladiator. Do you think he has a Academy Award for Best Director? Yes or no? Are you looking it up online? No, no, I'm not. I'm thinking because I know he did. Uh... <laughs> one second, I'll have this. <laughs> I know his brother did top gun right yeah tony scott and then he died r.i.p did he did uh ridley scott also do aliens yeah no not aliens he did, did alien. alien okay yeah and then yeah. James cameron took over i don't i'm gonna say no i bet he doesn't have a oscar he does not no he did blade runner 2 obviously gladiator uh yeah tragedy tragedy well, gladiator won, uh, he, russell crowe won best actor i believe right he did yeah I'm sorry. So what was your, what's your book and album? So for book, I'd have to go All the Pretty Horses by Cormac McCarthy. Uh, Really love the Western motif. It's kind of like, it's based in the 40s, I believe. And these uh, three, two cowboys head down to Mexico to just to continue being a cowboy. And uh, just, he falls in love with uh, one of the ranchero's daughter and they it's a winding story, but it's it's a really good one. And it was just one of my favorite books that I've ever read. They even made a movie about it. Not very good, but with Matt Damon. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you and then for album, and I know this probably gonna get a lot of hate mail for this one, but uh, I gotta stay true to my roots. I'm a product of my environment. I'm gonna have to go Blink one eighty two, Enema of the State. <laughs> yeah, you just want it for the album cover. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's got a dual dual purpose there. <laughs> It just speaks to my childhood and growing up. I was just listening to it the other week and just all the way through and it flows really well and every song uh, has, a, has a meaning to me that I was like, oh, I can think back of where I was when I heard this. So that would definitely be be my album. I remember listening to it. My dad got me, got me and my brother like Radiohead, like one of their most famous CDs. And then he got us Creed and Enema of the State. And even as a middle schooler, we were like, Creed sucks, but I don't know the state. This is super <laughs> good. So, Josh, you know, you're on this album maybe forever. And so that's your album. <laughs> I know. I, I, I told you, I got to stay true to my roots. It's, uh, yeah, I kind of want to change mine to end up the state now, too. <laughs> <laughs> Watch Blink-182's like plays on, on, on Spotify shoot up because of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the reach we have. <laughs> Um, Drew, what about you? Movie, book, album. Okay, so I had Damn by Kendrick Lamar, but I changed that to Jack Johnson's newest CD, All the Light Above It too, because I figured if I'm on a desert island, Damn might be a little aggressive. Um, want something a little <laughs> more soothing. And then... <laughs> you got to stay positive. Totally. So so for, for movie, I decided... I was going to go for an inconvenient truth just to like feel good about myself being on the desert island and not contributing to global warming, but then, <laughs> which I've never seen, but, uh, and then I changed that to Wally so that I could have like a heartwarming experience with the same motive. And then for book, uh, I went with barbarian days, which is about a surfer, this guy named William Finnegan, who's, uh, who's now a staff writer for the New Yorker, but he just has like a total bum surfing life and kind of super counterculture doesn't know what he's doing. And then ends up really succeeding in his, uh, in his path to become a surfer. And really it's just like pushes, pushes the, the limits and has a pretty down to earth take about it. So I, I really like that book. 
Hot take. That book is a bit self-satisfying. There's like a hundred pages where he's just like almost drowns again. It's like, dude, you got to quit surfing, man. This You're going to die doing this. I mean, he's also just like does acid multiple times <laughs> while he's surfing and it's just like getting barreled on acid. <laughs> he was so... Not to just shit on the book, the one book that you took on your deserted <laughs> island. Yeah, Jared's but... shitting on Enema the State. And... <laughs> <laughs> you guys you guys will shit on mine too, for sure. Is, is your album going to be like now 34? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but in uh, Barbarian Days, he's just like so down on everything. And it's just like, dude, you're a pretty privileged guy that's traveling through all over the world. You're pretty well off. You chose this life. What are you so What are you so down about? Anyway, I'm sorry. I hope you can still enjoy the book on the island after this. I'm gonna put on Enema of the State and start reading that book after we get done with that podcast simultaneously. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay with Enema of the State. Actually, I'm totally fine with that. Until you said Barbarian Days, that's just like all the small things is is one of the best songs ever written. <laughs> all right, I'm 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 ready to passively aggressively comment on your list, Jared. So. <laughs> Please do. So movie, I'm going to choose Godfather part two because it's three hours and 20 minutes. I'll, I'll kill a lot of time doing it. It's one of my favorite movies. It's more complex than the first Godfather. So I think I'll have a lot to unpack on my time on the island. Book, I'm going to choose 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. It's about a South American village over the course of 100 years and all this magical realism that takes place. And it's it's really difficult read because a lot of the characters have similar names and you're going through this family and all their relationships and everything like that. And it's really this, this beautiful book. So it's beautiful, a lot of context there. So I think that's going to be a good one to have on the island for years and years. And I'll be in solitude for close to 100 years, I imagine. For album, this one was very difficult for me. So I think I, I probably have the wrong answer here. But I'm going to say the Beatles Abbey Road is what I decided on just because it's not my favorite album now, but I think I could. It's w- still one of my favorites, and I can return to it again for years and years. All right, Drew. Jesus, you're so, you're so sophisticated. Can I can I exchange all of your uh, your book, movie, and album for a couple seasons of Crank Anchors? <laughs> <laughs> I take one episode of Crank Anchors over all of your all of your shitty shitty choices. <laughs> do you want me to go crazy on that island with crank yankers i don't even have a phone how am i supposed to crank yank just make a soft puppet and talk to your hand all right i digress that was a great intermezzo so next melfi is at home and she hears someone outside we hear vin's voice i think it's vin's voice uh but either way she she grows terrified too she hears hears some movement out there and then she goes into the shop. She learns the starter and her car is new. So we we piece together that, you know, something happened to her car. Someone added the, the starter in there. We go to Mikey, who's Uncle Junior's hitman underboss. He throws this guy named Rusty Irish off the bridge. So Rusty Irish is the drug dealer who sold Uncle Junior's uh, suit guy's grandson the drugs that made that kid kill himself. So Uncle Junior's taking revenge, showing that he's boss. Throws this guy off the bridge. Mikey pays the guys that are near nearby to not say anything. Oh, this guy jumped on his own, right? $20. <laughs> I know. <laughs> a sit down with the Capos here. So quick review of the Capos. You really don't need to know all of them right now, but Tony is one of the Capos. We get 
Uh, Larry Boy Barisi, he's the one who his guy was Rusty Irish, who was his top earner, even though he was a drug dealer. Jimmy Altieri, he, he has black hair. Um, he's the one who had the card game at the beginning. He's pissed off because his guy got beaten up. They're they're all upset about Uncle Junior, and they kind of try to blame Tony at the beginning, but I think he defers their blame um, pretty well. He's like, you know, we we all decide Uncle Junior's boss. We got to work this out now on our own. Regardless, Tony says he's gonna go. He's gonna go talk to Uncle Junior first. Tony goes to see Livia. Love Livia. I love how she's nice to someone at the community. So her friend Millie walks by. It's like, oh, Livia, you playing bingo tonight? And she's like, no, honey, I I can't make it tonight or whatever. And then whispers to Tony, degenerate gambler. (laughs) (laughs) I I freaking love that. And then a second later, she's like, oh, Millie, here's my son. Like introduces her son, which just, oh man, such a great character. Uh, Inside, Livia starts getting really angry about something. Tony's like, what's going on? And she's like, she's always running the water. Yeah, she's like, what are you? Says someone's name and I, I didn't catch that. Gunga Din, who is a, it was an older movie, but it was also remade into a Western, but I, I haven't seen either, but was a British Indian or in British India, but Gunga Din was the character who was a water carrier. So it was <laughs> a reference to someone who has a ton of water. Uh, I think a lot of themes always go back in these scenes with Tony and Livia, and maybe that's why I love them so much. And the characters are always lying to each other, but she's talking about Uncle Junior as boss, and she says, you know, better men than him had to work hard. Again, referencing these past generations. Tony has a great move, and he's knows Livia try, is pulling some of the strings here, and he's telling her that, you know, Uncle Junior is making some bad decisions here. Again, I love this game, which I see more and more whenever Tony's with Livia is Tony gets, you know, his aptitude for crime from Livia a lot. You know, Livia lies to him. She's like, oh, I don't, I don't know that world. But, you know, arguably she might be the most powerful person in New Jersey. She told Junior to, to tax Hesh, which started this whole conflict. I wish the Lord would take me now. We should count how many times she says that. I think every, every time we see her, she says that. You guys have anything to add on Livia? Yeah, I, I feel like besides putting her in the old folks home, Tony, like, really tries with her i feel like he's a pretty good son to her what what do you guys think i agree and i I also think she's getting better i I made this comment when we were watching it she finally accepted the gift tony gave her where last time she's like yeah and uh, yeah she's actually kind of having some conversation with people in the old folks home or nursing home whatever you want to call it i don't know whether that's because she's accepting her fate or if it's because she's getting invigorated by kind of being the puppeteer to junior. Um, So I don't know. I don't know which way it's going yet, but I think she's definitely getting some more life to her. Next, Carmela opens up to Father Phil about what she's feeling. Um, It's a really interesting confession where she admits that she was aware of Tony's Gumars, his girlfriends, but she didn't think they matched her intellectually because she wasn't so worried about it. And they really, I mean, Father Phil puts a lot of blame on Carmela, I thought, was just like, you know, didn't you allow this in your marriage to happen where i mean she's not the one that's taking this action so i didn't know if that was either a times thing a catholicism thing or if he's putting her in an unfair position what did you think josh i thought it was more of a catholicism thing and an interesting take for sure kind of saying that takes two to tango in a way where if you allow certain behavior for to go on that 
the person committing those sins is just going to become emboldened. So, and she was using those uh, ladies. Uh, what are they called? Gumas? Gumars? I think it's like I think you said it better. The I I think it maybe guma is how, how it's supposed to be said. I just say gumar each time. <laughs> but yeah, the Italian girlfriend. Yeah, Car- Carmelo was kind of allowing these gumas to take up some of her wife duties that the priest thinks she she should be doing. So if if, if Tony's not happy in a certain way what is Carmela doing either to fix it or, and so in her mind, it was like, Oh, Tony's going to see these gumas. I'm too busy raising kids to, you know, constantly be making my husband happy in in bed and whatnot. And so he's mm-hmm. finding that release elsewhere. And then it's just led to now he might be intellectually cheating, uh, which hurts her the most, which I find quite interesting. But I mean, I, on some respects, I think the priest has a point. But also, it's like, well, I mean, she's still the victim here. You mean just in, like, accountability in a marriage? Yeah, because, like, uh, the the Catholic Church is so against divorce. So, it's basically—I'm not Catholic, so, you know, I'm speaking— with a lot of ignorance here, but <laughs> we, we all are every episode. <laughs> and so, you know, it, to divorce, it takes two people to divorce and two people to get married. And so if you're unhappy with something, what are you doing to actively fix the situation? And I think the, uh, the priest is pointing out that Carmela could be doing more. Next session of therapy, Tony reveals to Melfi he had her car stolen. Or he asks, you know, how's your car doing? And she, she gets very scared about this and it's, And this is, he like confesses he loves her and, you know, he attributes it to, he's just like, you know, I'm a man, you're a woman. And she breaks it down for him. And I think Josh, this is part of your core. Maybe it's just, no, it's actually because I'm supposed to be a good listener. You know, I'm helping you solve these problems. You're, you're loving me for these reasons. And it's, maybe it's fake. And maybe Tony has a more traditional idea of what it means to be a man, but he has a hard time coming to terms with that. You guys say something, Drew? Yeah, I was gonna. I was just gonna say, probably besides his like honeymoon phase uh, with Carmela, he probably hasn't had like a, a that kind of connection with a woman, you know, in a, in such a long time. So I think he's really I, I, like I heard when when people cheat, it's like it's not because their partner, the, the next partner, is like better or anything. It's just because they feel like heard for the first time in a long time. So I think he's experiencing some of that. And I mean, that's that's what you're doing for with therapy. They're you're paying someone to listen to you. <laughs> and the way I'm thinking of it is just Dr. Melfi, Carmela, Livia, Meadow. Though she's not in this episode, they are all kind of pulling him. All these women in his life, these powerful women, are pulling him in these weird directions and dictating a lot of his decisions. So I think that's very interesting. At a little league game, Tony is with Uncle Junior, and Junior's talking about how Tony could have. Could have made the pros in baseball, which I'm always thinking about that first episode quote where Uncle Junior didn't think Tony had the makings of a varsity athlete. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, what, what is, which is the lie? Tony does something really smart here. He has the Roman Emperor reference where he talks about Augustus in this period of peace in Rome. And then he ter- tells a, I guess, is it a parable about the, the cows to Junior? And I'm thinking about the, the best prophets or best leaders throughout history would tell things in parables again and again you know from when religions were first starting either you know jesus or muhammad or someone or martin luther king or even like current leaders that we follow um as far as dave Chappelle or something like that they tell things in stories and that's the best way to communicate it to someone so i thought that was i thought that was brilliant how tony did that 
The point is, though, he wants Junior to spread the to spread the wealth out. He has 250k tax from Hesh. Don't keep that for yourself. Take the tax for sure, but spread that out to your capos. Show that you're that you're that great emperor here. And Junior gets the point too. So he takes 50k for himself, but then spreads out the other um, 50k each to the four the four other capos. And then we have a moment with Hesh and Tony. You know, Hesh speculates maybe Junior can be will be a good boss here. You know, it's like Harry Truman who took over after F- FDR suddenly died at the end of World War II. Tony says, you know, he doesn't want the job of boss because of the stress. He, I mean, he might actually he might actually mean it this time. Drew, do you think he meant it? He doesn't want the job? Yeah, I just like, yeah, you know, it's like he can't tell whether he's lying or not. You know, I, again, I don't even think he knows. Josh, what do you think? Does he want the job or not? At this time, at this day, I don't think so. I think he, he doesn't really want it, but I think once he figures out his own personal issues with Melfi and the Prozac, he'll be ready to take over. And I have a sneaky sense that, uh, as we see at the end, but I think Tony has a feeling that the authorities are closer on them than anybody else thinks. So uh, I'm assuming he's, or I think he's pretty happy he's not at the head of the table right now. Do you think Junior, speculating here, you haven't seen The Sopranos, do you think Junior will be a boss like, Harry Truman or like Hesh said, oh, like Harry Truman, he took over or whatever. Do you think he'll be a successful emperor in his time? I think with the, uh, with the help of Tony, he'll definitely be successful, but I don't see his tenure lasting very long. Uh, maybe a season, you know, if, uh, <laughs> an episode time. So a successful one year coach. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of, kind of like an interim head coach. Like David, David Blatt. Anyone who's LeBron's head coach and doesn't win a championship after a year, you mean? (laughs) Exactly. Is it Tyron Lue who was the coach who happened to be the coach when LeBron beat the Warriors? (laughs) Yeah. All right, man. You you won the lottery. Talk about being in the right place at the right time. I I really like Tony envies the horses here too when he's talking about I don't want the job. And it's to me, it was very biblical too, going off like his parables he was telling. He's, you know... Like the horses, they don't have anything to worry about. There's a Bible verse that talks about, you know, why can't we just be like the birds who don't have to think about what they're going to do next or anything? And and that's what made me, he was telling a story, that's what made me think that he really actually did not want the job at this moment, but who freaking knows. And then he, Tony, being the loyal guy he is, gives Hesh the 50K that Junior had given to him um, from Hesh. A scene with Tony and Carmela. Tony says that there's nothing between him and Melfi, Melfi but maybe he realizes that Melfi was right and he didn't actually feel real love for her. But either way, they they have a, a nice moment. But I do think Carmela is the bigger person here. She believes he should stick with therapy. She admits she was jealous of Mel, Dr. Melfi's ability to help. Like she comes forward and, and kind of meets him more than halfway. And, and Tony doesn't really do that. You know, I think he's the one that is still lying to everyone around him. The last scene, dinner with the Capos and some of the New York associates. Johnny Sack is there, but this is... You know, Uncle Junior's here. Tony gives a toast. I love this whole thing. I thought the music was just awesome. The caterer has a camera and he's taking pictures of everyone. And then he's, we go to the FBI headquarters and they're hanging up pictures of everyone. I, this is definitely a rewatchable scene. I loved it. Josh, didn't you say in the first episode, I think you said this, that there wasn't much music or you said it was like no country for old men or. Yeah, I would like to retract that. (laughs) I was just giving you an opportunity to retract that. <laughs> Josh, you want to retract that right now? 
I, I didn't know what you would say, but you know, I was, I was just seeing if you would make that choice. Cause the music is like such an important part here. And I, did you, did you like it as much as I did, Josh? Yeah, I, I really liked it. And you get to see the, the board, you could see like all the capos out and then junior moving up to take Jackie April's spot as the boss. I just freaking loved it. So you know how I look at the uh, recap on Wikipedia? Yeah, um, they do the music, and that song is it. <laughs> do you know who who made that song? Exhibit. Yeah, <laughs> I looked it up before this. Yeah, <laughs> he also did "Pit My Ride." <laughs> yeah, "Pit My Ride" and like, what's the difference oh. between me and you? Me and you with like Eminem. Yeah, definitely uh, not what you would have, not what I would have thought, which is why I got such a good chuckle out of it. I mean, I think they, I thought the song was spot on though. Yeah, maybe you wouldn't suspect the artist, but I mean, they have current, I don't know, funky music for the intro woke up this morning. I don't know quite how to describe that, but then they have all these nods to like the 50s or 60s throughout the series. And then Tony likes classic rock and and everything like that. I I think they're great at, at picking the right song for the right moment. That's funny. Yeah, it just the pilot must have only had like one song. I don't, I don't know where I got that. <laughs> it was a hot take. It was a hot, yeah. it was just a driving. What do what do the kids what do the kids say these days that that take didn't age well or something? <laughs> well, we we got to we got to keep each other accountable. I make I'm making a lot of hot takes here. Someone's going to tweet at me about barbarian days and tell me. <laughs> and I I don't know. I I thought the scene was so cool. Maybe that is my own infa- infatuation with the mob and I'm excited about these inner workings of the organization or or something like that. So quickly, just touching on it, I actually didn't have many pitfalls about this episode. I think we talked about them. Maybe going for the kiss might have been a pitfall, but I think, Drew, you you broke that and you said, no, Tony's a mob boss. He's used to probably, you know, making those advances. Um, what was the other one we mentioned? Uh, handing the group of guys a 20. Oh. <laughs> I was like, come on. Good one. Yeah, that wasn't enough money. I thought there was another one we mentioned. Josh, did you have any pitfalls? No, I mean, yeah, it was, it was a pretty good episode. Can't really, nothing really stood out. I agree. I think this episode had has had the fewest faults so far of any of them. Um, it's not in its, it's not in its perfect stride yet. But as far as faults go, I thought it was. I I liked it. I think more than college. Honestly, college is great as a standalone standalone episode. But this, I love how it advanced the story and everything about it. So. Best death to this one. So we're tallying these. So Rusty Irish, you know, the drug dealer got thrown off, thrown off the bridge there. Best comedy moment. I loved the two scenes with Livia. The first one with Junior and Livia. I thought that was pretty humorous. And then the second one with Tony and Livia from everything, you know, saying that that woman's a degenerate gambler to her complaining about her neighbor running water. Uh, So I'm going to say that one. That one's my favorite comedy moment. How about you, Drew? Same. I like the her the running water comment. How about you, Josh? I like that one, and I also like uh, kind of the exchange with uh, Tony and Doctor Melfi, where he kind of cracks the joke and, and she cracks up. I don't know. I, it was a lighthearted moment that mm. I enjoyed about the the prostate exam. <laughs> <laughs> Best drama moment. I really enjoyed all the sit downs from Johnny Sack playing Uncle Junior for Tony's sake. I thought that was great to get Hesh to give last money. The Capos. I love Tony giving the parables. I'm going to give it to the, the last sequence, the dinner. I thought that was amazing. I got to agree with it. Yeah, I got to agree with the dinner where it's just the music plays X to the Z exhibit. I also I also liked the uh, scene where Carmel is talking to him about how she wants to be that person for him. You know, she's jealous of, of Dr. Melfi for that reason, but I got to go with the last scene. It's X to the Z 
exhibit it's it's just exhibit but when he does the intro to pimp my ride he like says something and then he goes now this is x to the z exhibit we're about to pimp your ride (laughs) (laughs) which i would watch like every day after i'd get home from school (laughs) oh that's awesome Josh, best drama scene for you? Yeah, it's hard to argue with that one. Um, it yeah. it was kind of one of those moments where kind of like the end of True Detective episode three or four where Matthew... Whoa, Miller, whoa. spoilers? Oh, spoiler for those who haven't... It's really not even a spoiler, actually. Okay, okay. Um, when Matthew McConaughey, the season's kind of rolling around a little slowly and then and then it kind of ends with him divulging certain information and then the, the detectives af- ask him a question. He just goes, well, now you're starting to ask the right fucking questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how this scene had it for me. It's like, oh, something big's about to happen. Like, we're about to get another introduction to maybe the cops or the FBI you know, looking after the soprano. So I don't know. It just it got me really excited to watch the next one. Yes. How would you compare this compared to the other episodes you've watched so far? It seems like the show has a, or maybe it's just in my mind, but it, it kind of has a little formula where it'll go one episode to build, you know, more plot development and then another episode to build character development and then plot development and then character development. So I think this one was a big plot one uh, and I really enjoyed it. And I think if you combine it with the college episode, these two, I think have, uh, definitely been the shining stars of the season for me so far i like that we should compare like the longest streak like that's our best we have a two two episode win streak where those were just i think i agree with you those are the two best so far drew what do you think you know i want to disagree just for sake of argument but i I agree as well (laughs) (laughs) it's it's okay it's okay to agree (laughs) i thought and i'm trying to think of our question too just maybe america's infatuation with the mob and maybe it is because we're removed enough from it, but it's you get enough you get enough American values to only think of the good things, right? It's like, oh, these guys are hardworking. They have a code. We haven't been directly affected by th- these things. And I think that's part of it too. And I, I'm thinking back to our generational question in the first episode where generations will think fondly on past times a lot better than they think on current times. And a lot of that is because they probably think of the the best things in the past, or they think younger generations don't don't get it anymore when it's really it's really just their perception. They've gotten older and as you get older you look at the past with more nostalgia and you look at current times with more of with more fear and unknown. Is there anything you have to add on that, Josh, or or you have thoughts on that? I like the nostalgia take. And I I think it that kind of plays a lot with everybody thinking uh you know the good old days are behind us when in reality they weren't the good old days you forget about all the the shitty stuff do we have anything else to say about this episode i really liked it uh, yeah I, I love this episode i was almost as excited about like the end music and sequence as i am about the intro every time i'm almost just i was just like i was triggered where i wanted to start the next episode right away where when i'm hearing the intro i'm just pavlov's dog super excited about super excited about that episode thanks everyone who listened this is our launch day so it's exciting so if if you guys liked what you heard uh, it really helps us if you download an episode or if you even are able to leave us a review that would help us a lot if you want to follow us on twitter our twitter name is josh hasn't seen the sopranos um, you can also reach out to us on our website, jaredbackins.com. If you have longer questions, takes on anything we said, uh, if you want to correct any of our trivia, which um, we don't have fact checkers yet. <laughs> Drew, where can we find you? My Instagram is Drew Draws, and my website is currently com. Yeah, let me know your favorite episode of Crank Crank Yanker so I can go and watch it. 
<laughs> you bring it on an island with you. Josh, you, when you sent that picture of, you sent a picture of the Talking Sopranos podcast on Joe Rogan, I had this moment of fear just because of how much spoilers are out there. Were you able to stay hidden from future spoilers? Yeah, I didn't even look. I don't ever look at comments or anything like that on, on Instagram. Um, That's good. And I, I wasn't going to listen to that episode because I didn't want any spoilers, but I'm curious to listen to it once we're all done with the show to see you mm-hmm. know, what those two characters thought. And and it sounded like they host their own podcast with some behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, they, they actually have it's re- really good. So it's two of the actors from The Sopranos. I, I'll mention them later, but I don't know how close you looked at it. So I don't want to say it right now. But they I, I've listened to a few episodes and they have great insight. And it's it's really for people who have seen the series and know everything that's happening too. So it's more of a, I guess, a technical look on, you know, what the actors were doing and things like that. But it's it's really good. So Talking Sopranos is that. I started following another, like, Sopranos Twitter handle, just trying to, pretty much trying to learn about social media and try to get followers. But the whole Twitter page was just, polls on like which death do you think was better like was tony right to kill this person or that person more and i was just like oh my oh my god this we gotta we gotta make sure josh never sees it <laughs> josh please just don't use the internet for the next eight weeks or whatever i feel like i'm a drunk guy walking through a minefield and just have been lucky to stumble through all like the open spaces <laughs> now you know like what characters names are and things like that. So you're going to be more triggered if you hear something in in your daily life. It really is like trying to not learn who won the Super Bowl. You don't know who's going to spill the beans to you. So just just be wary of everyone. Weary or wary? Be weary. I'll, I'll be both. Yeah, you should be weary and wary walking through the minefield. All right, right on, guys. Enjoy the rest of your night. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, really pumped to watch the next episode with you guys. Goodbye. Goodbye.